This is The UU Perspective with your host, Sharon Merrill. This is episode 35 of the UU Perspective podcast, where you hear weekly interviews from Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists that are changing the world. Whether you are a UU or a seeker exploring Unitarian Universalism, there is something here for everyone. So as you sit, walk, jog, or drive, enjoy the conversation you're about to hear. We have cleared off the table, the leftovers say. Wash the dishes and put them away. I have told you a story and tucked you in tight at the end of your knockabout day. As the moon sets its sails to carry you to sleep over the midnight sea, I will sing you a song no one sang to me. May it keep you good company. You can be anybody you want to be. I know you wanted to hear more. And for many of you, you know who that is. That is Fred Small, Reverend Fred Small. And that is his song, Everything Possible. And I'll play the whole thing at the very end so you can enjoy all of it in its entirety. Now, Obviously, my guest is Fred Small, and he is the former pastor at First Parish in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and he is now working full-time on the Creation Coalition, which he is the founder of, and it's a new organization to mobilize people of faith as an irresistible political force for climate and environmental justice. And he has been an activist for many, many years. And he was involved in the one of the first to engage in civil disobedience to draw attention to climate change. And he was arrested with 21 others in prayer outside the U.S. Department of Energy in Washington, D.C. in 2001. And in March of 2007, he was a lead organizer of the Interfaith Walk for Climate Rescue from Northampton to Boston, Mass. And Grist Magazine has also named him one of the 15 green religious leaders worldwide. And so I'm going to ask him some more questions about the Creation Coalition, how it began and where it's going and how you can get involved. So let's get to it. And here is Fred. Welcome, Fred. And I appreciate you being with us today. And I have given everyone a little introduction uh, about you so far. And I'd like you to take a moment and just tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement in the UU community. Sure. It's great to be here, Sharon. I am Fred Small. I am the senior minister of First Parish in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Unitarian Universalist, gathered in 1633. I am also the uh, founder of the Creation Coalition, which is a new um, interfaith organization uh, designed to mobilize people of faith as an irresistible political force uh, for climate and environmental justice. I've been a Unitarian Universalist uh, since the 1980s and um, 
graduated from Harvard Divinity School in 1999, uh, served first um, church Unitarian in Littleton, Massachusetts, 1999 to 2008, and then was called by the Cambridge Congregation in 2008. And who, you said you became a UU in the 80s, who has inspired you during your UU journey? Well, I came to Unitarian Universalism uh, in my 30s uh, for a couple of reasons. I'd been raised uh, High Episcopalian and fled as a as a teenager. Um, I tell my friends who are Episcopal priests that if they had been my priest <laughs> when I was a child, maybe I'd still be an Episcopalian, but they weren't and I'm not. I, I grew up in a theologically and culturally and no doubt politically conservative uh, Episcopal congregation in New Jersey. And I, I call my Christian upbringing, unfortunately, uh, all guilt, no grace. So I was unchurched for uh, 20 years and then um, gradually found myself on a on a spiritual path, and uh, it was really uh, the Reverend Kim Crawford Harvey uh, who uh, really drew me to Unitarian Universalism. Uh, she had, uh, she and I had been friends for years. Uh, she had been a fan of mine when I was a folk singer and songwriter, and she was uh, just out of uh, college at that time. And then I followed her trajectory somewhat from afar as a uh, UU minister. Uh, and then when she was called as a senior minister of Arlington Street Church in Boston, I was there for her uh, first sermon as, as a settled minister there. And I was just blown away by, by what, she, what she did from the pulpit. I mean, in, instead of talking about the Bible all the time and Jesus Christ all the time, um, she was uh, quoting uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and the Tao Te Ching and Mary Oliver. And I thought, wow, <laughs> This is a church I could actually attend, and I did uh, for for some time. And then I, but I was living in Cambridge, and it was a bit of a schlep on on Sunday morning to get over to to Boston. So I um, uh, eventually b- became a member of First Parish in Arlington, uh, Massachusetts. That is the the town just just north of Cambridge. I was first introduced uh, to Unitarian Universalism probably as a folk singer. You know, I, I sang at so many coffee houses that were hosted by Unitarian Universalist congregations that during the intermission or after the sound check, I would, you know, find myself surrounded by all those damn pamphlets, you know, and I would start reading them and I thought, huh, well, this makes sense. Uh, If I were going to church, which I'm not, this might be a a friendly place to go. Uh, So between that introduction and Kim Crawford Harvey's uh, inspiring uh, preaching, uh, that was uh, that was what drew me in. All right. Uh, so you mentioned you're a singer songwriter, correct? Yes, uh, I was a full time uh, singer songwriter from 1980 to uh, 1996. Uh, Sixteen years of uh, uh, touring and uh, uh, gigging and getting in my some subcompact car and driving hundreds and thousands of miles. I event, eventually uh, toured inter- internationally uh, as well. And it was, I, I, I was living my dream. I remember I was in uh, Japan uh, uh, on tour and, and looking for uh, English language radio. Uh, I found the uh, U.S. Armed Forces radio and they were doing some kind of uh, person on the street interviews with folks uh, asking them what their dream job was. And two of the maybe half dozen that I heard 
said being a singer-songwriter would be my dream. And I thought, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm living the dream of, of these people, of these folks. Uh, of course, uh, you know, when dreams come true, they, they bring all of the, the joys and challenges of reality. And it's, you know, it's a hard life. Uh, it's a challenging life. You know, compared to all the suffering in the world, the suffering of a singer-songwriter is, is not uh, extreme, but it is, uh, it's, it's physically wearing and emotionally wearing. Certainly at the level I was, I didn't have a, you know, a tour bus with a driver and roadies and tour manager and uh, all that. Uh, it was just me. I worked with a bass, pl- bass player for a couple of years, but mainly it was just me driving around and or getting on the plane and 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 I was all about building community, so it was a little bit like, you know, sinking shallow roots in in a town on any given night, and making hopefully a, a deep connection with folks, and then of course the adrenaline rush of applause and sometimes standing ovations and signing autographs and selling CDs and all that, and then everybody went home, and uh, it was just me. Usually, if I was by myself, I would just you know drive to the local uh, convenience store and and uh, suppress my feelings with a bag of potato chips and it was hard you know it was hard to develop and sustain relationships when i was on the road uh, so so often and, and so long what was your main instrument and what type of songs were you writing guitar and uh i was writing what in the 60s were called topical songs uh, songs about current events and uh themes of of justice and healing the environment peace uh, these were songs uh, in the tradition and, and frequently inspired by people like uh, Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, Holly, Holly Near, um, Tom Paxton, Phil Oakes, Peter, Paul, and Mary, that, that, whole, that whole scene. And uh, that was the music that I grew up with as a child. Uh, I was born in 1952, so I, I, was, you know, I was singing uh, songs by Phil Oakes and Tom Paxton before my voice changed. Uh, and was actually my introduction to uh, to the world of, of of politics. I was getting a very different view of the world than I was receiving from my weekly reader at my elementary school. You got root, rooted inside of that through your music, then. That's right. And music, music, of course, is very powerful propaganda. And I say that in the best sense. It really can it can sneak right past your your rational defenses and and touch you uh, very deeply, touch you in in the heart where real change uh, happens. I was twelve years old and I heard uh, Phil Oakes sing "I Ain't a Marching Anymore," and it just rocked my world. Just uh, you know that that history of war and and the futility of war really deeply affected me, and and that meant I knew the power of music uh, to to make a difference. Well, let's get into talking about the Creation Coalition and tell us how that came about and its purpose. Well, the the purpose of the Creation Coalition is to mobilize people of faith as a political force for climate and environmental justice. I have been involved in religious environmentalism for decades, and I've just grown increasingly impatient with um, how little impact we have made in the public realm, in the realm of policy, in the realm of politics. Uh, we're very good at in-house change. Uh, we're very good at shrinking our personal carbon footprint. We're good at uh, banning uh, styrofoam from uh, coffee hour. And many congregations have done terrific work in 
improving energy efficiency, in, in greening the congregation, in getting our energy from uh, renewable sources, retrofitting our, our church buildings. But then when you look at the politics of climate and environmental justice, we're almost invisible. And the, the crisis has only uh, deepened uh, over the years. And we're looking at, on the one hand, the, the, the summons of uh, people like Pope Francis in his recent encyclical saying climate is a justice issue. Climate is a moral issue. Climate is a religious issue. We've got to do something. And the increasing awareness of everybody, and including and especially people of faith, that we must act boldly, dramatically, and beyond anything that we've done so far to address this crisis and these issues. And on the other hand, you look at, at the political realm, and we are the gap between what is necessary and what we have achieved is so vast that breaks my heart, and I think it sends many of us just into despair and passivity. Um, nationally, of course, uh, uh, both houses of Congress uh, uh, controlled by a party, uh, many of whose leaders uh, deny that climate is a problem at all. Uh, or if it is a problem, then you know the only ways to address it are through voluntary measures. And uh, I think there are many, many uh, policy initiatives that can be developed, but they they don't have uh, yet uh, the political support that they need. So I'm calling this new effort the Creation Coalition because I really want to do for climate what the Christian Coalition did uh, for anti-abortion and family values. I disagree with the Christian coalition on those issues. But I have to admire what they accomplished in the political realm. Um, I want to do this with love. I want to do it with integrity. Um, but I want politicians actually to be accountable uh, for their votes, for their leadership or lack of leadership on climate. As a religious leader, I never want to appeal to fear but I actually do want politicians to fear the consequences of climate obstruction and climate denial. And right now, by and large, they don't. How long have you had this going? It's, it's pretty new, isn't it? Well, yes and no. My, my impatience has been growing for, for years and probably decades. And I began to uh, focus on the necessity of organizing people of faith politically uh, about a year ago. And then when the, the phrase creation coalition came to me in September of 2014, um, it, everything kind of snapped into focus that, oh my God, we could actually do this. We could have an impact. Beginning locally, uh, I, I think it, it's, it, it's a big mistake to lobby the current Congress expecting a, a different result than we've had. Um, it's fine to lobby them as a kind of rehearsal for, for future success, but the current Congress is not going to be very helpful, as we know. So one of the things that the Christian right demonstrated was the power of organizing locally at uh, the level of, of school committees, city councils and uh, county uh, boards, county commissions, to invite people of faith into the conversation at that level and then to, to shift the political landscape, which will then have impact and uh, resonance uh, at higher and higher 
levels. So I began talking about the Creation Coalition in September of 2014 uh, at the Religions for the Earth conference, uh, which was held on the eve of the People's Climate March in New York City. Uh, this conference was uh, hosted by uh, Karana Gore at Union Theological Seminary. And I literally on the train to New York City, I, I began to just effervesce with, with ideas about this. And so inevitably, I just started talking at, at the conference, and the response was electric. People were handing me their business cards and saying, how can I help? And so I was very excited about the possibilities of actually launching this, this new uh, organization uh, and movement. And then I, I got back to my church, and church happened. I, you know, I, I'm the senior minister of a mid-sized urban congregation, and we don't have a lot of spare time. And everything I was doing was important and meaningful, and the Creation Coalition was withering on the vine. And I, I, so I set it aside and you know, served my congregation with, with all my heart. And then in, in the late spring, as actually things slowed down a little bit, I began to have a little more time to return to uh, this dream of the Creation Coalition. And as I pursued it, I realized this is going to take a whole lot of time. And this is not time I have as a parish minister. And it was a very, very painful decision for me to, to decide to leave a parish ministry. Uh, I'd been at uh, First Parish in Cambridge for seven years and then in Littleton nine years before that. And I love parish ministry, but I had to make a choice. And uh, this was the choice I had to make. Now, inside of carrying out what you want to do, what does that look like? How are people going to be involved? Well, um, we're still developing the organizational model, but the the plan is, as I as I mentioned, to to organize uh, locally, and this would be at the level of the church, the synagogue, the mosque. Uh, and individuals. I don't at this point plan to try to get official endorsements from houses of worship uh, because I know <laughs> how, how labor-intensive that is to work through the the church governance, whether it is democratic, as Unitarian Universalist governance is, or or hierarchical, as as some other uh, faith communities are. But I am interested in in enlisting people who are passionate about climate and environmental justice, uh, who can bring their own uh, faith-inspired energy uh, to this work and can enroll their friends and, and other folks uh, uh, through their, their own uh, religious communities, uh, and then create a grassroots movement where when a bill is stuck in committee when it is facing a vote on the floor of uh, of a state uh, house of representatives or state senate when when it's in when, when there's a resolution in a city council that people will turn out uh, in numbers physically and on the telephone and uh, virtually through uh, through electronic communication but to use the most sophisticated tools that we have now of identifying voters and activating voters to wed that technology and that expertise and i'm thinking just by analogy of the uh, obama campaigns that level of sophistication to wed that with the deep uh, conscientious concern and alarm of of people of faith around these issues what do you think is the biggest challenge you face inside of doing this 
I think the biggest challenge is people's sense of despair, that the, the level of denial and avoidance that we have throughout our society around climate and environmental justice, I think stems from a sense of hopelessness. So part of my work going forward is to preach a gospel of hope and possibility that we can actually do this. We can succeed in a paradigm shift around energy and sustainability and, and, uh, and environmental justice. The other, the other challenge is um, cutting through information glut. That is, even, even if I enroll uh, hundreds or thousands of, of willing activists on a given day, <laughs> Will they respond to a text message or a, an email or a, a Facebook message or a tweet? Or will it just get lost in all of the, the surfeit of noise that all of us struggle with? Do you feel that uh, in the future, as this is moving along, are you going to be working with other organizations too? Well, absolutely. I mean, I want to collaborate with with any and all organizations who want to to support this work. Uh, and believe me, if if I felt that other organizations were already doing this work, I would still be the senior minister of First Parish in Cambridge and looking forward to my retirement uh, there in in a few years. But uh, although existing organizations have sometimes, you know, have, have dipped their toes in these waters and, and have uh, had some modest success there, the focus and the, the concentration and the energy that I'm talking about, I, I haven't seen elsewhere. So certainly my hope is to launch uh, the Creation Coalition in, in more than one state, uh, but that will take a considerable financial support, uh, particularly from, from major foundations. And I, I have reason to believe that they will be enthusiastic, but I haven't actually had those conversations yet. But in, at the very least, we'll get started where I am in Massachusetts uh, and work with all of the environmental and environmental justice organizations that are already doing very good work uh, on these issues, uh, but bring to them uh, the power of a faith-based constituency. Um, and likewise, to work with, with religious organizations and say, let's be politically smart and politically hard-nosed and go beyond our interfaith uh, declarations of grave concern, which we have been issuing for decades, and actually have the impact that those declarations call us to undertake. How can people find out more about the Creation Coalition? We have a, a URL, creationcoalition.org, so you can check that out. And you can email info at creationcoalition.org, but we'll go straight to me. Okay, perfect. Well, could you give us a quote that really inspires you and tell us why it inspires you? I sure will. I was torn between two quotes, and the first quote that I wanted to use because it's been so meaningful to me in the last uh, couple of months as I've contemplated leaving parish ministry and, and beginning this new uh, undertaking, really leaping into the unknown. And that quote, I've seen it variously rendered, but uh, uh, frequently as uh, uh, faith is taking the first step when you can't see the whole staircase um, attributed to Martin Luther King Jr., Unfortunately, I've spent a fair amount of time trying to uh, source that quote on the internet, and I can't find it. When that happens, of course, one becomes skeptical that it's an authentic quote. I've also seen versions of, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Take the first step. Again, I'm not confident that Dr. King said that. 
So a favorite quote of mine from Thich Nhat Hanh, who is one of my uh, teachers, perhaps has had the greatest impact uh, upon my life spiritually of any teacher. From his book, No Death, No Fear, Thich Nhat Hanh says, when conditions are sufficient, things manifest. When conditions are no longer sufficient, things withdraw. They wait until the moment is right for them to manifest again. And for me, that's very powerful because as an activist, as a leader, I want to make things happen. I want change to happen. I want to write a song and then people sing it and change happens. Or I want to deliver a sermon uh, or speak at a rally and people get fired up and then they do things and things change. So there's, I think, among many of us justice activists, a kind of inherent impatience. You know, we are not content with the status quo. As Dr. King did say, um, there are things to which we should be maladapted. And what Thich Nhat Hanh reminds me is that <laughs> it's not up to me alone. There are many, many, many factors uh, going into why things are the way they are and whether they can change and when they will change. So it's, a, it's, a long, it's taking the long view and saying, you know, when conditions are sufficient, things manifest. And if they're not manifesting, that may mean that conditions are not yet sufficient. And we can contribute to changing those conditions, but we are not personally able to draw into reality uh, something that depends upon many, many uh, inputs and many, many uh, factors. So it, it's a statement for me of humility and of uh, surrender in the best sense. And using the word surrender in the best sense is a huge leap for me because you know I, I grew up just thinking that surrender was the, the most horrible thing that one could ever do. You never surrender. Uh, but of course, at the level of spirit, we must surrender. Uh, we must be committed to the outcome, but also completely able to let go, to do what we can and do what we must, but then step back and say, I have done my best. Great. Thank you for that. So our last question that I have for you, it is, how is Unitarian Universalism as a religious denomination uniquely positioned to serve and impact society? We live in a deeply interconnected world. We live in a world where you can go online and learn about any faith tradition that is. You can learn how to meditate uh, for peace, and you can learn how to build a bomb to blow people up if you don't agree with them. The genius and the beauty of Unitarian Universalism is that we acknowledge a pluralistic world. We acknowledge a world where, however grounded in the faith tradition or philosophical tradition of one's childhood, one may be, one, one has a choice. Uh, one is going to encounter, most of us, other ways of viewing the world, other religions, other philosophies. And frequently, people from other religions are our next-door neighbors and our co-workers uh, and our in-laws and our partners. And Unitarian Universalism says we celebrate this religious diversity. We welcome you just as you are with your, with your faith, with your doubt, with your questions. And we are a community of people who are curious about the world, 
and curious about and respectful of your experience, your, your thoughts, your beliefs. So most of us are past the conceit that ours is the one true faith, whatever our faith may be. And we understand that there are multiple truths. At the level of spirit, as the Rig Veda beautifully put, truth is one. The wise call it by many names. And Unitarian Universalism is comfortable with those names, embraces those names. And for that reason, I think is uniquely situated to invite all people into uh, a community of, of worship and a community of caring. Well, thank you. Fred, thanks for being with us. I really appreciate all the information you've given us about the Creation Coalition, and I wish you well with that in your new journeys, really taking that on full time. Thank you, Sharon. Yes. It's been a, pl- been a pleasure talking with you. You bet. All right. Thanks for listening, and you can catch any of the show notes at uuperspective.com. And as promised, here is Everything Possible by Fred Small in its entirety, and then we'll catch you next week. Bye. We have cleared off the table, the leftovers saved. Wash the dishes and put them away. I have told you a story and tucked you in tight. At the end of your knockabout day As the moon sets its sails To carry you to sleep Over the midnight sea I will sing you a song no one sang to me May it keep you good company You can be anybody you want to be You can love whomever you will You can travel any country You can travel any country Where your heart leads And though I will love you still You can live by yourself You can live by yourself You can gather friends around You can choose one The special one And the only measure And the only measure of your words and your deeds Will be the love you leave behind when you're done There are girls who grow up strong and bold There are boys quiet and kind Some race on ahead Some follow behind, some go in their own way and time. Some women love women, some men love men, some raise children, some never do. You can dream all the day, never reaching the end of everything possible for you Don't be rattled by names by taunts by games but seek out spirits true If you give your friends the best part of yourself they will give the same back to you 
You can be anybody you want to be You can love whomever you will Sing it with us You can travel any country where your heart beats And know I will love you still You can live by yourself You can gather friends around can choose one special one and the only measure of your words and your deeds will be the love you leave behind when you